I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped by the water. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and all this water talk. And really, I love how you said you'd give us torrents of living water. You're, you're the living water, Jesus. And your word is like water. And you even said that we're clean through the word that's been spoken. So I just pray that even as we just go through your word tonight, there'd be like this washing and refreshment of our souls. And, and Lord, I know um, kind of the direction we're going with this text. So I pray we'd have soft hearts to hear and to receive. And, and we'd just be tuned in, Lord, to, to what you want to say to us personally. And sometimes those little comments along the way are exactly what we need to hear. So just help us to have, uh, like it says in the Bible, ears to hear what, what you'd say by your spirit. So we give you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so years ago, there was a, um, a book by Max Lucado. Some say Lucado. Let's call the whole thing off. Anyways, Lucado, Lucado, tomato, tomato. Anyway, Max Lucado, I, I, I'm probably wrong on that pronunciation, but um, the book was called Just Like Jesus. And anybody remember that book? Anyway, I don't even know if I read it, but, um, but it wasn't this, the one thing I do remember about the book, I didn't read it, but I remember the title because that's not the actual title. The actual full title is God loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. <laughs> I love that first part. God loves you just the way you are, but way too much to leave you that way. <laughs> Amen. He does love us just how we are. We always say that at church, you know, come as you are and God loves you as you are. And that is so true on every level. But I am so thankful that God loves me so much. He's committed to changing me too. Amen? And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, when we left off in the story, the children of Israel are encamped on the east side of the Red Sea, they're stoked. They're celebrating. They've just experienced, and the light bulb's gone on. They are absolutely, completely free from Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. And it's just dawned on them and hit them, and like, we're really free. And so they're celebrating and, and, and all of that. But guys, that wasn't the end of the story. In many ways, that's just the very beginning of the story, isn't it? And from there, as we'll see tonight, as I already read, they, they, they have to leave that place of celebration, and God's moving them on into eventually the promised land. But we're going to see him stop, and remember, he's leading them by that cloud by day and the fire by night, and he's going to lead them to these various camping spots. And at those spots and along the way, God is sovereignly taking them various routes and doing things to purposely put them in a place where they have to learn how to trust him. Amen? In other words, now we see the maturation process. How many of you guys know that God is co committed to the maturation process of our Christian experience? In, in, in other words, to growing us up. How many of you guys aren't sure yet? Okay, well, Keep walking with Jesus, you're going to find out that, like it or not, God will sovereignly orchestrate 
stops along the way, if you would, in our lives that are going to test us. In fact, that's the very word he uses here, to test them, not to break them, but to make them, to test them, to strengthen them. Why? So they know how to learn how to trust God and go deeper in their relationship with God. And so all of these stops along the way are designed for that. And it's the same with us. And I, I spent a lot of time last week developing this point. I'm just going to mention it right now. Keep in mind that all of these Old Testament events historically picture for us New Testament principles. Their Old Testament stories are pictures of New Testament principles. And I got that from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We looked at it last week, so I won't belabor it. But specifically verses 6 and 11, where Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says these things are examples, or literally tupos in the Greek, or types, examples, for us to learn from in our Christian walk. Amen? These things physically, literally happen, but they speak of spiritual lessons for us. And guys, the camping spots that the Jews are about to hit, starting with Mara, that are designed to take them further and deeper into their trust and walk and faith in God, picture for us some of the most wonderful and practical lessons we can learn in our Christian experience, bar none. So th there's a lot of those upcoming, but tonight we start with a couple. And I just want to mention a couple, but then get to the main one. Uh, for example, um, here's a lesson that God's teaching them here at Mara, and it will be a lesson that he has to continually teach them. It's this, for example, that God is going to be the one that provides for their needs. How many of you guys had to learn that one when you first got saved? We're like, oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah, but you didn't always know that one. There came a time where you, you, know, you put your faith in God, but then he had to teach you. You're reading the Bible for the first time, and you're going through Matthew chapter 6, and it says, hey, don't worry about food and clothing. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's, if he took care, takes care of the, the flowers of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow, don't you know he's going to take care of the clothes that you're going to wear? How many of you guys read that and just remember your mind being blown? And then you have to live it out like God allows circumstances in your life where you can try in all your might and all your manipulative power, but you have to learn eventually that, you know what, God's going to be the one that's going to provide for my needs. Amen? That's actually a big one. Another lesson that's tucked in there, and we're not spending time on them right now, but they're there, is that not only that God would provide for their needs, in this case it was water, that's a need, legitimate, but also this. He says, I'm going to make a statute that if you obey my voice... You do what I say. You obey my commandments. I'm not going to put those diseases that I put on the Egyptians. The basic principle is this. Obedience brings blessing. Amen? Now, we're not always talking about financial blessing. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity mumbo-jumbo teaching or anything like that. I'm not talking about physical blessings all the time necessarily. But it is true that when you obey God's word, whether it relates to how you uh, treat your spouse or how you handle money or how you, you know, conduct yourself in, a, in any other way. When you obey what God says, there's blessing attached to that. Amen? When you disobey, guess what? God doesn't reward bad behavior. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not one of those parents that, like, reinforces bad behavior with blessing. So anyway, all that to say is that there's these lessons along the way. But bar, you know, um, by and far... Uh, the, the greatest lesson that's here in chapter 15 is, is, is really when they stop at the pools of Mara, and it's, it's this lesson um, right here. It's dealing with bitterness of the soul. Dealing with bitterness of the soul. 
you live very long in this life and you're going to have the opportunity to become bitter. <laughs> we'll talk more about that in a little while. How many of you guys know that that is just, I mean, it's probably always been this way, but how relevant is it right now in our culture? We live in a caustic, bitter environment in our culture, don't we? I mean, when I'm talking like media, social media, news coverage, political arenas, like it is, it is like no longer just friendly exchanging of ideas. It's like, you disagree with me, I hate your guts kind of a thing, right? And everywhere you turn, it's like there's this bite, this, this harshness, this bitterness. But guys, listen, as believers in our Christian walk, listen, bitterness ought never to be a word that describes us. We, we can't allow, as, as the author of Hebrews calls it, the root of bitterness to grow in us. And, and that's what bitterness is. Well, well I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's just kind of prime the pump with that and go back to the story. Let me just kind of bring this story alive for a second, and then we'll go back and look at that. But that's what we're going to talk about. Um, dealing with the bitterness of the soul. Because they had a situation dealing with bitterness. And what was it? Okay, back to the story. Here they are. Again, I already mentioned it, but they're on the, they're the east side of the, of the Red Sea. They got dead Egyptian bodies, you know, slapping the, in the water there. They're dead, you know. And they're singing. They're celebrating. Mir- Mir- Miriam's out there with the tambourine. Somebody sent me a gift. Do you call it a gift or a GIF? Or what do you, what's the official term there? I'm old. A guy. <laughs> a guyf. <laughs> anyway, sent me this gift gif thing of, of this lady with a tambourine just going like this because I, I told my tambourine story last week. Anyway, there's Miriam with her tambourine and they're celebrating, but at some point, like, whoo, you know, maybe it dies down and they're stoked. They have this new confidence in God. They're free and they're like, all right, maybe this is going to work out, right? And then the cloud begins to move. It starts going east towards the wilderness of Shur, which is, the wilderness of Shur is just pure desert. But, but you know, they've got this confidence of God, and, and the clouds moving that direction. I would have been like, are you sure? Anyways, that was for Austin. A little pun. You're welcome. <laughs> and it doesn't say this. I'm just kind of inserting myself into the story. But I would imagine that you know, perhaps they just, they, they left there, the camp, you know, the camp, they broke camp with a sense of like confidence. Because they just saw God's power displayed at the Red Sea. So like, okay, God's with us. There's the cloud. He's leading us. But then a day goes by. And then like another day, and, and their hydro flasks are empty, right? And they're, they're running out of water. And, the hand, and then all of a sudden, that, that confidence turns to concern. Like, does he even know where he's going? Who's driving this thing? You know, like, and then that concern by day three, turns into desperation and fear. And, and, and I would even say this, a legitimate fear, a legitimate desperation. You, you know, you guys understand that the human body can't go beyond three days without water, right? They need, this is a legitimate, real need for survival. And then that, 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 that celebration and confidence turns to concern, then turns to desperation, then turns to fear, and then, and then, and then a glimmer of hope. Why? Because somebody calls out, hey, there's pools over there. Oh, and they come to the pools of Mara, where evidently there was a series of springs and pools there. And so, I don't know, they, probably, they just kind of 
first guy gets there or whatever, and they start drinking the water there, and it doesn't take them long to realize that the water's bitter, pungent, poisonous. Something's wrong with it. They can just tell by the taste, of like, we can't drink this. And then their hopes that they just had are, boom, come crashing down. Now they're just angry. Now they're bitter. And they're grumbling. This is the only mention of them ever grumbling in the Bible. Just kidding. It's like 22 times in the next verses in six, chapter 16. But they start grumbling about Moses, you know, and the idea is, why did you lead us here? And they're grumbling. And then Moses, right move, goes to God, and God says, it says that God showed him a what? A tree, a law. It says log in the ESV, but it's literally a tree, probably a dead tree of some sort. And he says, take that tree and throw it into the water. We have no commentary on Moses' thoughts other than his just pure obedience. He's like, okay, God said throw a tree in the water because that usually works. You want me to take a dead tree and throw it into currently already polluted water to stir up the silt and everything at the bottom because, and that's going to somehow work? But God's like, yeah, do that. So he does, and, and notice this. It says the waters became what? Sweet. I like that. It doesn't just say that the waters became drinkable, barely. It says they became sweet, like good, super good. And again, guys, this, this, and it's not, I don't think, real hard to see the parallel, but this is such a great illustration of how we have to handle bitterness that comes into our own souls, the pool of our own heart. Because, you, like I said earlier, you don't have to live very long on this earth to at least have the potential of becoming very bitter. What is bitterness? Just trying to think about that. Just ask yourself for a second. What is bitterness? Probably the best way to, like, describe bitterness is think about, have you guys ever bitten into, like, a fruit that wasn't quite ripe yet? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to think of a specific fruit but pretty much any fruit. You bite it and you're like, mm. your lips go like that. You pull back, oh, it's sharp, biting. Maybe just a strong three-day-old cup of Folgers. And you take a hit of that and you're like, you know, and like, it's bitter. It, it's, it's, the idea is it's harsh, biting. And Guys, that's what can happen in us. You know, again, the author of Hebrews says, beware lest you fail of the grace of God, of obtaining the grace of God, and you allow the root of bitterness, I'm paraphrasing this verse, the root of bitterness to spring up and trouble you and defile many. And guys, that's what bitterness does. Something along the way, just like that pool of water for the children of Israel, somewhere along the way, something got into that water that polluted it. And now the whole thing's just turned bitter. And that's what can happen in our lives. Somewhere along the way, something's introduced, and it, and it, and it kind of festers, and this bitterness begins to happen inside. But it, it's interesting that the, the Bible calls it a root of bitterness, because wh where's a root? It's underground. Do you see a root? You don't see a root. It's deep underground. I always think about dandelions because I'm scarred emotionally because my parents used to always make me pull dandelions at my house, Mom. And I learned real quick, you can pull the leaves off, but guess what? Did you get rid of that dandelion? Yeah, for like a day. Then it's back with a vengeance. 
And then you have, but you have to pull the, you have to get the whole root, right? The root goes down deep. It's unseen. Listen, here's the, I, the sin of bitterness, listen, is dangerous because you can hide it. You can come to church and sing and say, God bless you, and go through the motions and still have that root down in there. But here's what we need to understand is that it will not stay hidden forever. It's merely a matter of time before that thing springs up. And the connotation there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 that I'm referring to is that it will trouble you, but it also says, and it will defile many. And that's what bitterness does. And the word defile there means contaminate. It contaminates many. Have you ever bumped into, talked to a bitter person? Does their bitterness just stay with them? Or do you get a little bit of it on you too, right? You touch the nerve. You say the wrong thing. You bring up that subject or they see that person or that group's name comes up on TV or that church gets mentioned or whatever. And they just, it's caustic what comes out of their mouth. Hey, how you doing? And you're like, whoa, bitter much? You know, or, and, and just like biting into a piece of fruit where you pull back and it's sharp and it's, oh, you don't want to go back for more. That's how it is talking to somebody that's full of bitterness. They get bumped the wrong way. That's what comes out. And they're all in consternation inside and they're hurting and contaminating everybody else around them. And every single one of us has to be aware of this without exception. Because why? How do you become bitter? Well, we could list a thousand and one things, couldn't we? And this is actually kind of a trick. Listen, just, just think with me. And this is, I know that this can be really heavy. It could be like a, on a level here or it can be on a level up here. Because listen, bitterness happens when something, you know, wrongs us or we're perceived, perceived something wrongs us or it's a perceived wrong how am I trying to say that it's actually a legitimate wronging that happens to you or a perceived wronging that happens to you in other words you think but that wasn't the intention and you can figure that out but you know you think about like what about abuse you know you had no choice you were victimized as a child and the one that was supposed to love you was hurting you or, or she left you or they slandered you. Or that church, and they didn't handle the situation right, and the leadership did this, and da da da. And that political party, and they're standing for this, and da 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 da. And, those, and, and something, or like in this situation, sometimes it's not just a bitterness towards a person or an organization that hurt you or wronged you or you perceive they did, but sometimes it's towards God. That was what theirs was. Did you notice that? They have a legitimate need. Water's a legitimate need. And they were disappointed by God. Why? They saw water. They were there. Their hopes were up. But when they tasted the water, it was bitter and it didn't work out. Now they're bitterly disappointed. Has God ever seemingly disappointed you? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and she wasn't healed. And the finances didn't come through. And the business failed. And if God is a loving God, then dot, dot, dot. I have a friend that I pray for all the time back in Oregon. He's not a believer yet, but he's got that bitterness and animosity towards God because his brother died at an early age. How could God allow? And if you haven't said those things, you've heard other people say them. 
And I don't even fault you or other people for saying those things because that's just kind of our mind is working, right? I mean, we're like, okay, God is all-powerful, and how could he have allowed this, and this is bad. How do we deal with it? So there, the question was, how do we become bitter? But here's the thing. None of those things I mentioned, no person, no circumstance makes us bitter. We make ourselves bitter. Bitterness is not something that happens to us. Bitterness is something we choose to be. I'm not legitimizing or sweeping under the rug the harshness or the reality of any of those things that were hard, but our bitterness is a wrong response to wrong or perceived wrong things that have happened to us. Does that make sense? Well, why are you like that? Well, she did. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody forced you to become bitter over that. I'm not saying what they did or she did or he did or whatever is right. Are you guys tracking with me? It's when we grab a hold of that and with unforgiveness and with anger and we just let it stew and we think about it. You know, we've been going through 2 Samuel and looking at um, Ahithophel and, and Ahithophel, right? So it was Bathsheba's granddad, right? And so first chance he got to join the rebellion against David, he did it and everybody like, why would Ahithophel, this counselor of David? Because he's carrying around bitterness for years because David took advantage of his granddaughter. So first chance he got, boom, boom, that bitterness came out. It was hidden, but it came out. So I'm not trying to be too technical, but what I'm saying is, is that guys, None of us are immune to this, and I really believe it's something that Satan loves to pick on and play at. And, and once you're offended or hurt or you're perceived as such or something very real that did happen to you, I believe that Satan loves to just get in there and just, just pick at that scab and say, yeah, and another thing, and did you ever consider this? And they never said they're sorry. Did you ever notice that? And, da, 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 da. and then pretty soon you're just smoldering. But it comes out. And I've, I've been blessed by God to, to be uh, able to be in the ministry for over 20 years and pastor for almost that, that time. And I've seen a lot of damage done in the church because of bitterness. And, and so we know what it is and, and we know how it's caused. At least we see something introduced and then, and then it kind of festers. But the, the real beauty of this story is that there's a remedy. Guys, listen to me. There's a remedy. There's a remedy. And what was it in the story? What did he say? Moses, and he didn't say these words, but this is what it was. Moses, by faith, I want you to grab that tree and throw it into the, the, the bitter pools. Right? Guys, this is, listen to me, this is such a powerful word, and it's for somebody tonight. This is the remedy. It's the tree. You throw the tree into the bitter pools. The tree in the Old Testament foreshadows the cross of Jesus Christ. That's actually one that's easy to make the, connect the dots. If you like to, to check those things out and, 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 and all of that, let me give you some verses. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Both of those refer to the death of Jesus on the cross as him dying on a tree. Galatians chapter 3 says, quoting the Old Testament, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree tree. And the reason they say that is because, by the way, Jesus was probably crucified on an actual tree. We kind of have to get this, this image of Jesus crucified on perfectly milled lumber out of our minds because that's probably not how it was. 
the way it would probably historically happen was is that they would have a cross beam that would be milled and like cut, like a six by six or eight by eight or whatever it was, and they would be strapped to that. But there was an abundance of old gnarly olive trees, and, and more often than not, what they would do is just cut a notch in an old tree and then put that cross beam boom, into the tree and then nail, which would be, by the way, if you've seen an olive tree, they're really low. They're not high up. They're right at eye level. So the crucified victim would actually be right eye level with people that walk by the street. They'd be stretched out and either a leg on each side like that or crossed over and bent like that. And then like a nail through the, the foot so they could have to push up on that to breathe all the rest against a gnarly old olive tree, if you've ever seen one that's gnarly. I'm, I'm, here's the track. I'm out here. i got to get back onto the track. But the point is, is that Jesus was most likely crucified, crucified on an actual tree. Nonetheless, it speaks of the cross. And, and I know that for a lot of you guys, you've heard this. I think I've actually already taught this in my year and a half of being here. And I know Pastor Steve has probably taught this along the way too. So be careful not to tune out if you know where I'm going with the illustration. Hear it like it's the first time. The key is to take the cross and insert it into the bitterness of our soul. Why? Think about the cross for a second. What is the cross? The cross is where Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus is God. He's not a created being. He's the creator, the second person of the Godhead, God himself, who became a man. And on that cross, he died for the sins of the world. When he died on that cross, one of the last of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross was, Tetelestai, it is finished, meaning paid in full. And I, and I love the way, like, in Isaiah where it talks about Jesus dying on the cross. It says he bore our sins. You know, I like that because the idea is, is it means to lift our, the sins off of us and place them onto Jesus. That's what he did. He took all the sin I've ever done against God. He took all the sin I've ever done against other people. And he lifted it up off of me and he put it on his son, Jesus. And Jesus died for it, and he paid for it. And then the righteousness that was on Jesus was picked up doo -doo -doo -doo, and put onto me. The great exchange, amen? But that means I'm forgiven of everything I've ever done against God, and I'm forgiven. Do you understand that when we sin, we don't only just sin against God, we sin against people, and we hurt people, and we usually hurt the people that are closest to us. My, every, every time I've launched out in anger or hurt somebody or stole stuff or whatever it was, I've been forgiven of that. And the people I've hurt, hopefully I can reconcile with them, but I'm forgiven for the sin that hurt them. But here's the point. When Jesus died on the cross, he also died for the people that hurt us. And the sin that is sin. It was paid for by Jesus on that cross, 100%. Amen? See, the whole key to this as it relates to dealing, and I want to do it in two ways. How do we do this as it relates to dealing with people or groups or organizations that have hurt us? And I think the key is Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32 Jot this one down at least because it's, it's one that's 
worthy of memorizing or underlining or something. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another, how? As God in Christ forgave you. How did God the Father forgive us? Through the sacrificial, or the, excuse me, the um, substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. Does that make sense? How am I supposed to forgive somebody that wronged me? Not out of a sense of just being a good person or sweeping it under the rug or being benevolent that day. No, it's all based on the finished work of Jesus. You are able to forgive them because Jesus forgave them and has died for them and he's not holding that sin against them and you say oh my goodness lord the cross is so massive you even died for that and lord if you died for that and forgave them i am choosing right now to just grab a hold of the cross by faith throw it into the bitterness of my soul and say you forgave them so i'm going to forgive them by faith right now in jesus name now that's scary because in the back of our mind we're saying but if i forgive them does that mean i'm condoning what they did and let me just say a resounding, no. You're not condoning their sin. You're not sweeping it under the rug or saying it didn't matter. But you're just saying, but Jesus paid for that too. Amen? And by the way, here's another little great one. Because I believe that God can, in a moment, take away 30 years of bitterness. But I also believe that he can take it out little by little. Just like he can heal people of alcoholism in, in a moment. And then I also believe that he can give people grace day by day to conquer alcoholism or any other ism, right? And so you may forgive somebody. You may grab a hold of the cross and say, yes, I get it. I see it. Yes, they're forgiven. Hallelujah. And I don't have to be free. Get this bitterness out of me. But you know what? <laughs> you'll be stoked. You'll be driving home in your car. And all of a sudden that person will come in your mind like, I hate that guy. <laughs> Wait a minute, what happened to church 20 minutes ago? So you got to do it again. you got to take that thought captive and say, wait a minute, no. That sin was died for. And if Jesus ain't bringing it up, then what right do I have to bring it up? I can't bring that up. Now, we're not necessarily talking about reconciling with a, another person. That's kind of a whole other issue. We're talking about dealing with that bitterness in your own heart. And you may have to do it 100 times. Here's another key. I just thought of this one today. This is a good one. Who is it you're bitter against? Pray for them. I don't want to pray for him. That's the point. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those. Because you can't pray for somebody and stay bitter at them. I mean, you can, but you can't, like, really pray for them and stay bitter at them. Lord, I pray that you would just bless so-and-so and their marriage and their finances. And, and God's going to be like, really? Check your heart, pal. Pray for him. Secondly, that's dealing with a bitter soul that you might have towards a person or an individual or an organization or political party or whatever. But what about when your bitterness is towards God? What do you do then? You insert the cross. Why? Here's the other scripture, Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love for us. How? The cross. And you've heard me say this, so I'll say it till I die. The cross was, the cross is, the cross forever will be the ultimate demonstration of God's passionate love for us. For God so 
loved the world that he gave his son. What does that mean he gave his son? To die for us on the cross. The cross is the, so what's my point? My point is, is that when I have a situation where God has seemingly let me down or seemingly didn't come through, and I'm not saying it's easy or whatever, maybe it was a legitimate need and it didn't happen, here's what I have to go back to. I don't understand the circumstance, but this I know. God loves me. He loves me because he sent his son to die for me. So even though I don't get why this didn't happen or this did happen, I have to, by faith, grab a hold of the cross and say, I don't get it, but God loves me. Amen? And here's the thing. You may never get it. You may never see it until heaven. But when it's all said and done, and I will say with ultimate confidence, because I know the God I believe in and I know his book, that that seeming letdown or that seeming unfollow-through on his part, on God's part, when you see the whole big picture, you'll go, oh. I'll say, now I get it. You see, God is dealing in realms and in ways that we have no idea, so far beyond our comprehension. So what do we hold on to when he's orchestrating our lives in the universe and sovereignly moving things around and letting things happen and not letting things happen and this and that, and we get caught in the crossfire, so to speak? How do we deal with all that? We have to just go back and say, well, this I do know. He loves me. Just like the children of Israel could say, well, I know this. He didn't do that to Pharaoh's army and smash him in the Red Sea to bring us out in the wilderness to kill us. And he didn't bring you out of sin and darkness and hell to just kill you halfway through the journey. Amen? Hey, this takes faith. And no one's denying that. See, it's just like Moses. And I'll end it with this. This is how we'll end tonight. Is this is for tonight. This is my heart, guys. It's not just a principle tonight. It is a principle, and I think it's a sound one. Here's the principle. We deal with the bitterness of our own soul by doing what Moses did, taking the cross or the tree and and, and grabbing hold of the connotations by faith, applying it by faith to our situation. I think that's a sound principle, right? But it's more than a principle. Listen to me, please. I think tonight it's more than a principle. It's an opportunity. What I mean by that is what would have happened if Moses would have said, I see where you're going with this, God, okay. Yeah, a tree, right. Okay, good. And he sat by the tree and he looked at it and maybe got a pencil out and a piece of paper and drew a picture of it, studied it, prayed about it. At some point, he had to actually grab the dang tree and throw it in the water. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you can either hear this and you know it's for you, and say, well, I'll ponder that for a little while. Or by faith, you say, i got to grab the cross tonight because this bitterness is killing me on the inside, and I need deliverance from it right now. And I stand by what I say because I know my God. He can take 30 years of bitterness, and he can pull it out of your life in one second if he chooses to. Or he may just, by his grace, Let it be a process that you just got to work through with him and walk hand in hand with him through each day. And that's just as valid. And Jesus is still the answer. But I I wonder if there's anyone tonight, maybe an abuse situation or maybe a, I don't know, maybe some financial blow up in a business or something in a business partner. I don't know. These things are just kind of coming to my head. Um, 
but y- you say, no, I need to grab the cross tonight. I need to, I don't know how it all works. I don't understand. And I'm sure Moses was like, I don't get this. I don't understand. We're just going to do it by faith. You got to do it by faith tonight. Amen? So I'm going to give you that opportunity. Because if we just come to church and we just hear Bible studies and we just jot down more notes and fill up more notebooks, we're just kind of wasting our time if we don't actually do the stuff, right? So as we get ready to close, I'm just going to ask you in a moment, if you are here tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. Um, And and no one should feel ashamed if you have bitterness in your soul because every single one of us, 100%, all of us are at some point in our life going to or are currently going to struggle with this. So this is like one of those sins that just hits everybody, okay? So you're not weird, you're not a freak, you're not sub-Christian. But I'm going to ask you in a second to put your Bible down and if you just tonight need to say, "I, I need to be freed. I need that root yanked out and I've been dealing with it for a long time. And I'm not even sure I want to forgive those people because I'm still hot about it or whatever. But you're saying, Lord, I see, I see, I need to just come and cling to the cross right now and put it under the blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask you in a second to stand up right where you're at. And I just want to pray with you and pray for you. Okay, so just right now, stand up. If there's anyone in here tonight, this word is for you. Praise the Lord. All right kind of church is this? You guys are all bitter people. Just kidding. I'm standing too. I'm standing too, not just by default. I'm standing with you, okay? Yeah, I see some of you that are not standing and you're pushing your hands out towards those people. That's a good thing to do, just in agreement, saying, yeah, I want to pray for them. Let's pray together. I want to pray for you guys, but let's just, let's agree together. Maybe just all close our eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I come before you right now, and Father, I want to praise you and thank you that there is nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. On that cross, you died for all of our sins. You died for all of the sins that were done against us. And Father, you know every life represented by the people that are standing. You know every situation, and some of them are horrific and unthinkable. And some of them, Lord, are, are on a different level, but Lord... Would you honor the faith of my brothers and sisters with the courage they took to stand up in front of their bros and sisters and say, I've got an issue with bitterness in my heart and I can't fix it apart from the cross. Would you right now, in the name of Jesus, take that root of bitterness and yank it out, Lord. Just pull it out. And Lord, that you would just bring instead a sweetness. Not just a not bitterness. Lord, I pray for a sweetness that would replace the bitterness, Lord. And Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. And guys, right where you're standing, if you need to whisper in your own words a prayer to God regarding your situation, would you just, with faith, even if it's a mustard seed of faith, would you just do it right now? Would you just pray right now on your own to the Lord just for a second? Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a life changer. Lord, thank you that you had no intention of having your kids walking around all just angry inside. And Lord, where there needs to be justice and when there needs to be something righted, God, we just give that to you now. Father, I pray that if there's reconciliation between brothers and sisters that needs to happen, that you would help that along, Lord. But Father, no more. 
We're not going another day, another night, stewing over that stuff. We're not going to act weird when we see him in the, at Big Save. We're forgiving him. And we thank you and we praise you. And let's all stand together, you guys. Let's all stand together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.